0: Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. Well, folks, big, big, big news. Politics Done Right is going back live again. Guess when that's going to be? That's going to be Monday, September 26. Keep that date alive. Monday, September 26th, and we will be doing Politics Done Right live on the Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays of the week. So that is three days of Politics Done Right. It's going to be under an umbrella, but I'm not sure what we're going to call the umbrella yet. But again, Politics Done Right goes live Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And guess what else? We are going to be taking your calls. Which means we can interact again. We can have those great conversations that we used to have back way yonder before the pandemic. So, folks, prepare yourself because it's going to be wild. And the next thing that I want you to say or want you to do, let everybody know we're going back live again. When you're in your car, when you're home, whether you're listening on TuneIn or listening on the Internet or whatever, you can be a part of the conversation. You can be a part of the Real thing. So give us a call. Remember, we're going to be covering local politics, national politics, world politics, anything you want to talk about. So again, it's important for you to know we are back live again on the 26th, Monday the 26th. Hey, those guys, those hardworking guys are going at it to get that building, those studios up and running. Or we got a new studio. So you know... We're going to be saying, you're going to hear me talking all of the times, great politics, great, great stuff about health care, etc. At the same time, we're going to be saying, remember, folks, this is a station that you need. So always remember that it is your station and you're going to, you're going to support this station because we provide you that value. So, folks... We're going live again. Remember, again, we are going live. It's your program. You'll be able to call in. And remember my standing offer. All of you guys who donate 100 and above on this program, we meet in the studio. I have been tired. I have been infuriated of the coverage this week about Queen Elizabeth. First of all, condolences to the family, the human in me, hates or, or feels for any family who loses a loved one, but that said, the the saturation of the media over the death of a monarch is, I think, embarrassing. Worse is the fact that as we discuss the monarchy, that in a civilized world now, a world that does now that is trying to relieve itself of the savagery of colonialism and what it has done to people to the theft that occurred it was great today to see Ali Velshi not only schooled a historian but attempt to give him some perspective whether he liked it or not this is beautiful this is what real Journalism looks like.
1: Queen Elizabeth was an even tempered monarch who was never quick to react or show her emotions or reveal much about her private life. In that way, she endeared herself to the public, and her popularity is unmatched by any other member of the royal family. Though, for that same reason, her popularity And the institution she represented took a major hit after the death of Diana, who was pretty much the opposite of the stoic reserved queen. And as beloved as Elizabeth was, she also represented an institution that had a long and ugly history of brutal colonialism, violent theft and slavery. For many centuries, the British robbed other nations of their wealth and power and exploited their people, even as Queen Elizabeth's reign largely marked the beginning of the post-colonial era. The horrors that her long line of ancestors inflicted upon many generations, of people across the globe, continues to be the source of pain. That's now a legacy that her eldest son, King Charles III, inherits as the new head of state and the head of the British Commonwealth, or what is now known as the Commonwealth of Nations. He's got a massive task ahead of him as the country uh, and his family face an uncertain future without the matriarch who's been their guiding star for so long. Joining our conversation now is Dr. Andrew Roberts. He's an MSNBC British historian, the author of many books about the royal family. We just had an historian say that there are many people who are Queenists. They're not monarchists. They liked her. They're either bored with the institution or think, think, think that it needs to change or aren't going to be that into the next king. Give us your evaluation of that.
2: I think that's wildly overstated, frankly. Uh, I think uh, when you look at all the opinion polls, we're about 80 to 85 percent in favor of having a constitutional monarchy. I'm afraid to say, as your introduction was, if uh, we had given so much pain to people throughout uh, history, why was uh, Charles chosen by every single? uh commonwealth country many of which are former imperial countries as the head of the
1: commonwealth we abolished a- a- andrew, slavery hold on 30, a second a- 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 are you really denying are, what i just sorry, said I about british cow. colonialism are you really we doing you, that we, andrew are you really we, doing, we are, doing that we, abo- we, yeah, we abolish slavery andrew this is not a propaganda show before you did, andrew and I, need you do I need you to stop i need you to stop for a second i need you to stop for a second are you really taking issue with the with the horrors of
2: colonialism andrew I'm I'm certainly taking issue with your remarks about slavery, which we abolished 32 years before you did. And we didn't have to kill 600,000 people in a civil
1: war over it. So you you think that that's fine, that there are people all over the world who were born in colonial countries, because when I was born, the British Empire still existed. Uh, That's okay for everybody. Which country were you born in? Kenya. Right. And the Kenyans not only
2: supported the the appointment of of, uh, Prince Charles, now King Charles, as the head of the commonwealth. We've just had a fantastic uh, statement from the president of Kenya saying, what a wonderful thing. um, uh, And and the president of the United States is going to attend her funeral. Uh, The fact is- And so why why on earth do you want to concentrate on the only the negative things of an institution, which is a hundred years ago now?
1: I can read you my my opening again. I didn't concentrate on it. I said that there are many people in the world, many millions of people in the world. I don't know if you have social media, but you should check it out, who don't think we should be celebrating the British monarchy right now. Many in Britain, by the way, many in Britain. No, not many in Britain. There's a lot more people uh, than that around the world who don't see it the same way, who grew up under the yoke of colonialism in the British Empire.
2: The way in which the entire the leaders of the entire world are writing to even evil monsters like uh, Putin a writing to King Charles and saying what a great thing his uh, mother's reign was, which started as really you actually had in your opening, you into, your opening intro. You had her talk about the great imperial family to which we all belong. You know, the idea that that is in some way a an attack on our past is absurd, maybe.
1: Well, it's uh, it's nice to be able to whitewash that sort of thing, Andrew, and I'm I'm glad that you closed off with the idea that even Vladimir Putin had nice things to say about the Queen.
0: I love it. Even Vladimir Putin had nice things to say about the Queen. He was proud of it. You know, hey, the worst guy in the world. Even he could say something nice about the Queen. Here's the reality, folks. Um, Why did a lot of these countries remain in the Commonwealth? It's simple. It's not hard to realize. Sometimes you have to grab on to that thing which you really, really hate. So it's money, and we all should uh, know that quite well. You know what? I was happy to see that Ali Velshi made one very important statement. This is not a propaganda show. We are not going to be like the other shows who just whitewash what the British Empire represented. Yes, we will mourn that we will be sorry, we'll be hurt for the family of the Queen after losing somebody who gave a... It gave the, the, the vision of being nice. But never once did she come out and say the British Empire was wrong. What we did in India was wrong. What we did in slavery was wrong. All these things were absolutely wrong. And she doesn't say that because in acknowledging that, the next question is, are you ready for reparations to solve the problems that you created? Are you ready to give back that which was stolen. The reality is, no, they're not. No, they never will be. They will rather change history. They would rather placate history than do the right thing. And for all of those who are having all these false interpretations, these false beliefs of what British Empire really means, Ali Velshi uh, School's, Many on this, thank you, because you have the platform. It's important for us not to allow false historians to go out there and over time overtake what the violence, the savagery that colonialism really was and to some extent still is. Welcome to yet another edition of Politics Done Right, streaming directly from Net Roots in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm here today with Troy Williams. Troy, Absolutely. Uh, thank you so kindly for spending some time with us. Troy, um, let, let's start with the negative, okay? And then we're going to move on from there. Absolutely. Uh, you were incarcerated for 25
3: years? I was incarcerated 25 years of my life for... Um, participating in a takeover robbery of a computer parts company in California. Uh, you know, I grew up in California, right gangbanging in that whole world, and growing up in that life, you know, I, I did what gangbangers do. Uh,
0: let, let me first tell you, um, what I wanted to... Uh, I asked you, I, I, I saw your, your badge where it says restorative media. You what you told world me world. is that the impression that this the media gives us about
2: uh,
0: the incarcerated and the lives of the people being incarcerated is all wrong. What is it that you're bringing that you want to make folks aware of?
3: Well, I think it's about narrative control, right? It's about us having control over the narratives that are told and spoken about us, right? Oftentimes, you'll see media companies go into a setting and they'll tell this negative this negative story from an outside perspective, right? They'll use fear-mongering techniques, which actually cause more divisiveness than anything. And... Um, so, back in the day, uh these media companies would come in, and they would like places like lock up, even National Geographic came in, and they did this whole story about. Um, Scott Peterson, and, and they were going around asking people what would they do if they caught, caught Scott Peterson on the yard. So it's always some outside journalists coming in looking for the sensationalized story that is going to give people shock value. But what they don't do is they don't go in and they're not, they're not talking to the father who is actually um, remorseful um, for what he's done. Uh, he actually like sees the outcome of what his behavior has done to his community and to his even to his own family. Right. So those narratives, those stories aren't told. And we're led to believe that everybody in prison, um, one, are there because they deserve to be. Uh, And two, um, that are like uh, there are so many people who are in prison who are actually not guilty for the crime that they were incarcerated for. And there are also a lot of people who have been in prison for crimes that probably should not have been labeled criminal uh, in the first place. And we can tell that nowadays when um, when somebody who is in jail for 20 years for stealing a CD player, right? Uh, a $40 CD player and you take 20 years of this person's life. One of the things we also uh, have been doing lately is challenging um, this whole narrative around uh, uh, removing the uh, involuntary servitude clause from the Constitution and the effects of that, right? Uh, and you, you would... It may be hard pressed for some people to believe and for some of us it's like, it's the same as what it was, but um, people were making the same arguments as they made in 1863 to keep um, the exception to slavery clause alive. Uh, in this country and in, in the state of California. I think
0: what you're really talking about, and tell me if I'm right, is that many, many uh, jails, many prisons, they actually rent out the services of their imprisoned people. Absolutely. At a, at a very reduced cost, almost at slave labor type. Absolutely. Uh,
3: Almost like we complain about sweatshops in China, but we're not looking at the sweatshops operating within, behind the walls of prisons. People, your audience will never guess what my job was the last eight years of my incarceration. I guarantee nobody in your audience will guess.
0: I I can't guess, what was your job?
3: My job the last eight years of my incarceration was I worked as a video technician. I was the programmer for San Quentin Television's closed circuit system. and we produced. Not only did we program the television stations inside the prison, but we also produced stories, radio uh, and um, video stories uh, inside the prison. Uh, and I got paid a whopping uh, thirty-seven cents an hour to do so.
0: Right. And these, and they made profits off of the... the of,
3: of course, the institution. So the people inside the prison, we've all heard. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that about firefighters right um, you know we've we don't understand that there's video technicians there's librarians there's electricians there's plumbers like any any job that you could conceivably think of that is needed in the community is needed behind the walls of a prison and incarcerated people Specifically, I know in the state of California, and it is my assumption from talking to people around the country, it is equally the same that they work these jobs inside of a prison. And in many cases, they're getting paid pennies on the dollar. If they get any wage at all,
0: and you know th- th- this is this is very interesting because I, I think um, you know earlier on uh, in, in several of the programs that I do, I talk we talk about crime and how it's handled and how it's punished, right? Mm-hmm. And we have somebody that goes into a Seven Eleven and take a candy bar a misdemeanor, or somebody who maybe grabs enough money cash out of a register and run that mm-hmm. makes it a felony, mm-hmm. and they spend years in jail. You spent twenty five years. Years right. In prison. Right. They spent all this time in jail or prison, and uh, we have the petty, the, not that we have the criminals, the real criminals, corporate executives that that cost you your life or thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. cost the lives of many of people based on their policies, right. and they are respected in society. There absolutely.
4: is a determined
0: problem with what we call crime in this country. A- I think absolutely. when you talk about uh, Sir uh, restorative media, I think you are trying to do something that we hope to do as well, and that is change the narrative. Change the narrative of what a criminal is. Change the narrative of what you do.
3: We have to change that narrative. And I I, I do want to say this, that... I in no way, um, for myself personally, um, am attempting to reduce the my accountability for the harms that I caused right. to my own family, to society, and even um, to the victims of the crimes for which um, I was found guilty and sentenced for. So I'm. It's, it's not. I'm not saying but that. I want to cut
0: you there because mm-hmm. that is the reason I wanted to speak to you right. because that's one of the first things that you told me. I am not trying to say I'm not guilty of what right. I've done or I'm not taking accountability for what right. I've done. But remember there's uh, there, are there
3: others. There's, there's other factors. There's a lot of other factors. Why, how would, and I always ask this question to people. How do you think a little boy who has so much reverence for life that he wouldn't even step on an ant, how did that little boy go from that to being a gun-toting, gang-banging felon willing to put a gun to somebody's head. What happened in that child's life? So even if you can't uh, sympathize or empathize with the gray-bearded dude sitting in front of the, on your show now, perhaps you can identify with the little boy in your neighborhood that is still going through stuff or, or going through things right now. And because of what he's going through, because resources are not there for him, what is he going to become? What opportunities are going to be there for him? And then, when a person goes to prison, they're in prison for all of these years, um, forced into uh, uh, a slave labor without proper compensation, and he's released and then told good luck. When he could have spent that the last eight years of my incarceration with me working as a video technician, I could have been contributing to my family. I could have been contributing to taxes. I could have had something set up for myself so that when I came home, I wouldn't have to struggle and, 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 and most people who are, I'm thankful that I had the resources and the wherewithal to build what I've been able to accomplish for myself. But a lot of people don't have that. Right. And so if they don't have that, what are, what are you leaving them with?
0: If you mind me asking, what resources were you able to, I mean, I do understand that mm-hmm. most people that leave like that leave prison, they're, they're just thrown out there. And then there are a lot of people who won't hire right. people who have records or who've been in it, prison. It, it
3: won't it's
0: a double right. Sword, exactly. right? You want them to stay on the level. You want them to stay straight. But at the same time, you, they're not being offered the opportunity to, to move on. How were you able to do it? Because right now you have a company that's called Restorative.
3: Right. I, at Restorative Media, I had um, I had help. I had assistance. Um, you know, uh, I'm not somebody who would sit up and say, oh, I did it all by myself. No, I had a strong support group and I learned from the elders around me when I was in car how to build a strong support network for myself when I came home. So I had a lot of people who invested in me uh, and invested knowledge in me. You know, from the first guy, you know, I learned the truth about my history from a black man on the prison tier. And so I had people who invested in me. And when I came home, one of the strongest things that was taught to me was how to build myself a support network. And I was able to build a support network who who believed enough in me um, to support um, the work that I wanted to do. Um, And I invested in myself.
0: Well, that is great. You know, in some countries, in uh, I think the Nordic countries, going to jail isn't going behind bars. Going to jail is really how to re-educate somebody, how to to rehabilitate somebody, how to look at the humanity in people irrespective of... And again, these are are places where they have good social safety nets to ensure that nobody falls through the cracks. I think you're proof positive that a positive input into everybody actually gains mostly positive outcomes. Would you agree with
3: that? I I would definitely agree with that. I I would definitely agree um, that you know, thanks to the, the, the men on the tiers who supported me. Thanks to the tons of volunteers who came inside the prison to build. And, and also thanks to, there were certain uh, correction officers inside who ensured that we were getting what we need. Like I wouldn't be in the position that I am if the warden of that institution had not allowed cameras in and permitted me to sit in a studio and play with these cameras for years on end. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, um, and, and even though there's this larger system that has to be held accountable for the the, the, the slave um, type of mentality that exists, there's this larger system that has to be held accountable for that. There are individuals in that system who actually want to um, to want things to be better that are working for the betterment and, and and I think we all need to come together and figure out. How do we make this system that uh, that is gonna be equal and fair and just and equitable uh, for all of us
0: Troy Williams it's been my pleasure it's been my honor to speak to you I've learned a lot but most importantly I think the audience needs to listen Absolutely. this this is what uh, and and, and, uh, uh, and I think you you cop to this this is what real rehabilitation and re, uh, and, and investing in folks look like absolutely and you're returning it back
3: absolutely many times over it's my duty too absolutely thank absolutely. you appreciate you sir all absolutely, right sir.
0: the coverage of the queen has gone above and beyond yes you can tear me up for saying oh what what's wrong with you the woman was a good look let me tell you something folks all right uh well i tell you what let's go ahead and listen to What Ali Velci has to say. I mean, he schooled many on colonialism. And then I have a few words that I want to talk about. Because I tell you something. I am very uh, upset at this grand daily coverage. Using up a lot of time that should be placed on educating us on what's going on in the economy and much more. But we're dedicating it to a funeral. Again, I don't want to be insensitive, but yes, the queen died. Yes, the queen outwardly presented a positive attitude. But let's understand what monarchy represents and what it represents to a lot of us to my ancestors, what it represents to the Jamaicans, the Trinidadians, all the folks from the West Indies were my genesis, which is my genesis. So Let's go ahead and listen to Ali Velci and then we'll, we'll move on.
1: How about we talk a little more about colonialism? The first Elizabethan era ended when Queen Elizabeth I died in 1603. Her 45-year reign was, quote, a golden age, though I guess that kind of depends on your perspective, which marked England's emergence as an ambitious and ruthless global power. Elizabeth I heavily encouraged privateering, granting charters or trading and exploration rights to private companies, which paved the way for an intercontinental empire. It was she who gave Walter Raleigh permission to set up a small colony on Roanoke Island, Britain's first foray into the colonization of America. Now, centuries later, the second Elizabethan era has just ended with the death of Queen Elizabeth II. The two reigns invite easy comparison, and they are tethered by their unique positions in the timeline of British colonialism, the beginning and the beginning of the end. In the 1920s, the British Empire was at its zenith, ruling and controlling the natural resources and economic output of around a quarter of the world's entire population, about 413 million people at the time. All of these countries in red were controlled by the British Empire. You can see Canada, Australia, um, India, Ireland, much of Africa, just to name a few of the countries. To quote an often used phrase throughout the 18th and 20th centuries, the sun never set on the british empire it literally meant that it was daylight somewhere around the globe in a place that britain controlled but nightfall for the empire was on the horizon by the time elizabeth became queen and it was ushered in by the colonized not by the colonizer in 1947 a few months after queen elizabeth ii's 21st birthday but five years before she became the monarch britain would lose one of its most crucial imperial possessions india and the newly partitioned pakistan For more than a century, Britain had exploited local rulers, workers, and resources in India, flooding the British economy with cotton and cash. India not only paved the way for Britain's massive global rise, but funded the continued progress of the Industrial Revolution. Remnants of colonialism in India continue in the conflict between India and Pakistan and India's continued colonization of Kashmir. And I don't need to make a metaphor here. The 105... Kohinoor diamond, which sits in one of the three royal consort crowns, is a spoil of war from India. As countless sought and achieved independence from England, many became members of the British Commonwealth, which was formed in 1949. Upon her death, Queen Elizabeth II remained the head of state of 15 Commonwealth nations who chose her uh, as their head of state. 36 of those countries are now republics without a royal head of state. Five have their own monarchs. While the Commonwealth is a clear vestige of colonialism, initially conceived as a consortium of white settler colonies like South Africa at the time, the Commonwealth was a vehicle to preserve Britain's global influence at a time when decolonization was getting more popular around the world. But really, it positioned Britain at the head of a massive school, teaching the former colonists how to behave and how to, in theory, self-govern. Through the lens of history, it's now often seen as patronizing, sometimes racist, including during the 12 years that apartheid South Africa was a member. And it's generally a superfluous uh, thing. And Probably a waste of money. By the mid-1970s, the British Empire was reduced to little pockets around the world. When Hong Kong was transferred to China in 1997, the then Prince of Wales called it, quote, "...the end of empire." That prince is now King Charles III. Colonization, British or otherwise, was economic exploitation, violence, and racism. Decolonization, virtually never initiated by the British, was often a bloody and deadly fight for independence. Example after example, the U.S. Revolutionary War, the concentration during the Boer Wars in South Africa, the massacre of hundreds of Sikh worshippers in Amritsar, India in under 10 minutes, by the way, in 1919, the death of between 20,000 and 100,000 people in the Mau Mau uprising in my birthplace of Kenya in the 1950s, the opium wars with China and lesser known atrocities like civilian torture in Cyprus, the continued mess that is Israel and Palestine today. All of it is the legacy of British colonialism. Queen Elizabeth was widely respected and admired. But if you're having mixed feelings about the mourning of the queen and the institution she represented for so many decades, that's valid. And you're not alone. And that
0: is important to understand. She, you know, people that let bygones be bygones. No, there are still people are still living through the remnants of what colonial the colonial world was. What is happening in Jamaica? What's happening throughout the world right now that was colonized? You know, colonized sounds too nice, right? When you say the British colonized all these other countries, that sounds pretty. Okay, so they went out there and they put their rule. It was deeper than that. They went to exploit Colonize is just a nice way of saying we exploit the people, we enslaved the people, we took the natural resources of all those lands that we controlled and brought them to England, to the British. That's what it stands for. And she was, look, she was the head of that, or she is or was the head of that entire Organization and she is a symbolic head now who has just passed away, and now another king has risen to take on this same symbolic reign of an evil institution. And we have spent hours upon hours glorifying that which affected mil- billions of people around the world. So I, I am not going to be kind with those who just want to say let bygones be bygones because in my humble opinion, bygones be bygones mean the, the demoralization of many. It also mean some believing that others are better than they are. That is colonization. And the most shameful part about this is, is having former, former the leaders of new countries That are part of the commonwealth or were part of the commonwealth or were colonized That they are somehow attending a funeral of the person who is on top of that agency that colonized them I I, I mean, trust me, I understand why It has a lot to do with money yeah, we'd be nice to England and when, or to the UK or to the British, and when, the, when we need the help of the British to get a few bucks here and there, we get it. Well, stop it! You don't need the British. The richest parts of this world are those places where the British colonized. They can stand on their own. I mean, again, they can stand on their own. The British. Isles had very little to offer That's why they ran all over the place And took over other fertile lands Other lands with resources People People Please Especially Those who were former uh, Formerly enslaved Either in chains In mines Or otherwise By the monarchy or the mon- the monarchies around the world we should have zero reverence for those people zero because again that is a society that says we don't believe in democracy we believe that there's certain a certain group of us that are inherently inherently rightfully owners of the world we cannot have that, and believe it or not, it sounds nice and sweet when you're watching it on MSNBC and CNN and the Queen going through the streets, et cetera. That sounds, it looks good. Look, I don't mean to be uh, someone that sh- that that's that, that's demeaning the dead or anything like that. I like I said, I feel for her family, I feel for them. But the glory and the pomp and circumstance that's occurring right now is doing nothing but removing the stench that is. Monarchies and colonialism. King Charles just gave his speech, and you know he's talking about the service of Queen Elizabeth II. First of all, I do want to give from the human side condolences. Anytime one loses a family member, it's hurtful. We love our family, we love our relatives, we love people. So, in the human side, we feel For the death of Queen Elizabeth, to rest in peace. That said, the overarching coverage, the overarching uh, accolades that we are given the monarchy and the pomp and circumstances, as I continuously say, it's unwarranted. And undeserved. And to see grown folk act like this over a fairy tale, over a monarchy, over a monarchy that has caused much disaster throughout uh, different groups around the world, including in Ireland, its close neighbor. It drives one crazy. But anyhow, it's interesting because what really lit me up this morning is this type of of response from grown men and the devaluing of the common man. Check this out.
2: It's just him, it's just him. Camilla,
0: I can't see Camilla in these pictures. It's gonna be so many things that we're gonna be picking out. Another notable point when you're watching uh, Charles and Camilla now, like she's walking behind him. Uh, he's the sovereign, he's the monarch. There is so much to that little segment there she's walking behind him. You walk behind me. I am the sovereign. I am the monarch. Uh, What, how can you even say that and not feel diminished? How can you say that in the year 2022? And, you know, I don't think anybody, first of all, When you hear folks talk about how great and nice a monarch is or how their life of service, they've got to. What else are they going to do? What's their other purpose in life? We've gotten over where we should be getting over the monarchy and working as democracies. It's about time, don't you think? And to think that just because you have a bloodline, that you are inherently supposed to rule others, that you become, you continue to be the queen of the commonwealth, independent countries, and they still have you symbolically as a queen. It's one of the most degrading things, especially from countries that one colonized, dominated, and hurt many people in those countries. I think it is sad. And you know what? This morning, one of my favorite writers, uh, her, or I subscribed to her writings, and I just felt a sense of peace in that there was not. I was not one of the few feeling this way, but somebody decided, let me just write about it. And Allison, Allison Gaines at May at Medium, one of you know, Medium is a great place, folks. Please go to Medium.com and support these different writers by just getting a. Is a little membership, and you'll see that you, you read unlimited great writers. But anyway, Allison says, why most black people are refusing to mourn Queen Elizabeth II. It's time to decolonize the grieving process. And I love the way she starts. One thing has become painfully clear in the aftermath of Queen Elizabeth II's death is her legacy is complex. Yes, it is. While some will spend the next few weeks praising the longest-serving British monarch's reign, black people and other marginalized groups are having a different conversation about the harm of British colonialism. For instance, Irish Twitter reflected on the monarch's role in the Great Irish Famine. While Americans often hear about the famine as a natural phenomenon, Britain actually deprived Ireland of resources and systematically shipped, stripped the Irish of even the least semblance of basic human freedom. Some refer to their efforts as genocide. As Irish people expressed their discontent, they found a new friend in solidarity, Black Twitter. We often hear That Britain is known for a type of polite racism, but that's misleading. The British Empire's role overshadowed the participation of all other northern European powers in the transatlantic slave trade. And like America, Britain has never paid reparations to formerly enslaved people or their descendants. As a result... The legacy of the slave trade has helped to codify a racial hierarchy in the country. So what does this have to do with the queen? Well, for starters, the royal family has made its fortune from the slave trade. It started when Queen Elizabeth I allowed John Hopkins to kidnap slaves from Africa to sell to the Caribbean, making tremendous profits. Then the death of Queen Elizabeth II sparked renewed calls. For reparations, as King Charles become the new monarch, read the entire article. It is it is solid. It follows the things like uh, when England was an empire, stealing the treasures, uh, the pharaohs, uh, or uh, treasures from all over from Nigeria, etc., putting it in their museums, and now these folks want their stuff back. And too often they refuse. So let's let's be careful. Let's be cognizant. Let's be measured, but this saturation of adoration for the monarchy, for Queen Elizabeth too, for those of us who have lived under this empire, whether you be in the Caribbean, wherever you are, let's not give undue credit where it's not at all due. Let's go ahead and Mourn uh, the lady, the, the, the nominal queen of England, and then to hell, get rid of it. No bloodline, because a bloodline should inherently have dominion over anything. We should be worth what we work for. We should be worth what we decided to adapt to our intellect for. But to just have 24 coverage Of a queen's death and you ask what's the purpose of the queen is she making lives better for anybody else but you have coverage like this a semblance of reality creeps into the minds of those who are looking at these channels as if this is how they are informed let's really be informed they are proven they're poor informers this actually was pretty surprising to me. Andrew Mitchell challenged George Will, a conservative troglodyte of the past, that these old ho- all these hosts would just go ahead and let's say whatever he wanted to say. Well, Andrew Mitchell kind of did a good job today. I mean, she could have said a few other things, but you know, coming from Andrew Mitchell, I thought this was wonderful. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side.
4: Can I say something about the president and his cars? Yeah, please do. (laughs) There were 8 million cars in this country in 1920. There were 20 million in 1930. Explode across the land. They all found gasoline. How'd they do that? The private market provided gas stations. Instead, in the modern age, we have to have an an enormous multi-billion dollar plan to build charging stations for electric vehicles, which are so supposedly wondrous things but we're bribing people to buy the vehicles and then we're building the gas station equivalent the electric charging stations for it why well why is the climate change and why is you know how short a period of time we have to try to do something to ameliorate it and get people off of fossil fuels california is going to do it by you know 2035 yes let's hope they repaired their electricity grid by then because now they're saying whatever else you don't charge your cars at this point because the grid can't handle it if you have confidence in the government's ability to plan all this, you've been in Washington long have, enough to know you raised-
0: Now, you know, it drives me crazy. First of all, uh, she answered the question quite right. It's the climate, doofus. It's the climate. And what I think having the government having to step in to build charging station proved is the failure of the private sector, you see, they want to amortize not pipelines. They want to amortize uh, all these old infrastructure. They want to use up all that all that carbon that they have in the ground in the form of oil, gas, and coal. Right? So they, so it's not in their interest. They don't care about the future. They'll burn the. They will burn all that coal and burn all that gas. Burn all all of it to turn it into carbon dioxide and fry the future. It's not about the future for the private sector. It's about the next quarter. And if you're looking at the next quarter, you cannot expect these guys to do what's right. Because what they do is to maximize the amount of bonuses they make for themselves as they screw everybody else. Folks, this is not rocket science. This is the reason you have to have good government. Good government that listen to science and follow the path. I mean again these this is a, the the reason that we are not electric or already on on carbon neutral fuels is simply a failure of the private sector and and remember well you know we may not even need to call it a failure we could pro- uh, probably call it a a a feature of the private sector in other words they will tr- they will pollute destroy the environment and make a profit in doing so And in order for us to live The environment has to be cleaned up We have to remove the carbon out of the air We have to do all these things They'll charge you again To clean up the mess that they've made So It's, it's, it's the kind of Economy that we have That has no soul That has no morals That cares nothing about anything Other than a few making a few Dollars so folks, the troglodyte when he says, well, do you trust the government for doing anything? Well of course if you cre- if you put lousy people into government vis-a-vis Republicans and neoliberal Democrats, that's what you get. lousy government. But if you populate the government with people who think, with people who follow science, where there's not a profit motive, then the solutions would not look like how will that affect business? But how will that affect humanity? And inherently, if you make it good for humanity, good business will excel. Businesses that are attempting to pill for you to transfer most of the wealth to a few, they'll fail. Because you know what? Nobody needs to be a billionaire. Nobody earned being a billionaire. Nobody is worth a billion. Nobody worked hard enough or know enough to be a billionaire. That is a fiction of our, our, our capitalist system that allows some to take advantage of the works and the worth of others. Here's a story, and then this is, this is going to be not too long a story, but this is, this is how we are going to end the show today. It's, this is so important. And I want you guys to listen in detail. I want you to listen in detail. I woke up this morning still with pain in my, on my, my, you know, my teeth. So I went to the, I went and I made an, a, an, an appointment with the dentist and they were able to see me right away. Great, great. I am so happy about that. Going there, they, uh, we have insurance. Okay. So, uh, we have supposedly dental insurance. Okay. And, um, and here is the, and, and here is the deal. I go in there and they take the first, you know, that that full X-ray where they rotate that stuff around your head. You know, it goes, uh, it goes all the way around your head, and they took the whole picture of your teeth. I was glad to see that because what that told me is I had no major happenings going into the cranium or down below. So that's what that first thing said, and then they said, "So what? Which teeth or tooth hurts?" And then I pointed them to the side where hurt, and then they took localized. Pictures there. Great. All's going great. The lady, the, the, the technician is wonderful. The, the, uh, she takes takes good care of me, takes my pressure. Oh, my God. The pressure was shooting through my brain. You know, if we decide to do something, you're not going to be able to do it until we get that pressure down. Okay, fine. But by then, now we sit down. It's time for me to meet the dentist. Dentist comes in. They give me the cold test, the hammer test, where they hammer each teeth to see which one is the one that's given problems. Then they take pictures of the, that side. And she said, there may be a little bit of nerve infection right there at the tooth end on one tooth down there. And then there may be another one right on this tooth here. Then I said, but wait, I'm only feeling pain on this one right now. And so she said, well, let's do a root canal on that one. I said, okay. I said, by the way, how much is it going to cost? So she said, um, well, you're going to get the root canal and you have to put a crown on it. Now, folks, in Panama, I get root canals, right? I got this one as a root canal, no, no crown, right? They did a root canal. The, the teeth got a bit discolored, but it was acceptable. They didn't force you to do a root canal. Now, this tooth is all the way in the back. So they're saying, root canal, root canal. I said, okay, but I don't want a crown. I don't want to pay the amount that you guys are going to want for crown, even though I don't know what it costs. She said, why don't you let them fix the bill for you? I said, okay. Remember, I'm in there with pain for a teeth issue. And it, it comes to mind what our friend from Canada told me in that interview we did at Netroots. He said, when we go into a doctor's office, we never, ever talk money, ever. We make the patient healthy okay so the business manager comes into the uh, into the room i'm i'm there in the room in the couch she brings a computer screen she says it's better if i show you on a computer screen this is what she sent me right so i said okay the total amount of that visit today to take those x-rays and for the doctor to hammer me a few times was three hundred eighteen dollars The insurance took care of that, but then comes the real stuff. Now, all the 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 uh, to go ahead and set up the you know the 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 root canal is one thousand five hundred eighty nine dollars to put a post on. In other words, what that is to grind down the teeth, the tooth and and put a and then so to grind down the tooth. It's 1589 to pulp the tooth, meaning take out the nerves and all of that is, uh, and that is just to go around it, $276 to do the actual root canal, $1,185 $1, pulp vitality. I have no idea what that is, 68 bucks. limited exam, another limited exam, 82 bucks. And something called Endemic, 420 bucks. I'm not done. ADA intra orifice, I don't know what that is, $199. And then ADA core buildup, $319 for a grand total. Hear me out, guys. If I did that root canal when they asked me to do that root canal, it would have been a grand total of $5,000. One tooth. Then they are talking about wanting me to do two. Here it is, folks. These are. The, I'm going to put it on the screen so you can see the bills. I want you to see. I'm. I'm. I'm giving privacy to the dental house because I don't want to. I. I still want to give them a chance to redeem themselves. See if they'll call me back before I expose the fraud that dentists really are. Okay. So look. I I went to see this other doctor today, my doctor for my blood pressure. And she said, oh, just go to Mexico, $350, the whole thing. So what they're going to do for $5,000 or so may cost me $350 to $500 in Mexico. Cash. This here is insurance pays half, I pay the other half. What do you think those suckers really did? They probably jacked the price up so that they still make a lot of money, both from the insurance and from us. It's thievery. Now, look, you know what I did? I got out of there and I said, I am not. I will live with the pain. I will live with the pain and the antibiotics until the pain goes away. You know? Uh, Brie says, Egberto, you do kn- you do know that you can go to a dental school, got excellent treatment, and they take insurance or not. I will look into that. Somebody else told me that. I don't remember when they told me that, but I- I'll look into that. My insurance covers partial dentist routines, visits, according to my correct cleaning and fillings, but root canals and crowns, etc., out of pocket. Yep, it's terrible. If you don't address this pain, it's going to get worse. I'm addressing it. I actually am uh, taking... Antibiotics for it And you can actually see where they claim There was an infection, it may be going down Because the pain is not as substantial As it was then So my point is folks All of you that are against Medicare for All All of you that are into this private Healthcare, private medicine Let me tell you You can decide whether to buy a dinner At a McDonald's Or a dinner at some place or not You have that choice uh, you can decide whether you want to buy coconut milk or orange milk or whatever. You can decide that. But when you are in pain, when you need a transplant, when you need to cut an organ out, to leave that up to the private sector to the market means they have the ultimate power to get you to buy whatever they're selling. And that's what they did they try to do with me today. They were, they were making the bet. That since I am in so much pain, Egberto, if you need a root canal, that means there's a hole in both your tooth and your nerve pulp. I am pretty sure there is. And I, but what I'm doing is I'm using the, I am using the current state because that was probably there for a long time. Because I've had similar occurrence that cleared up before. And you're right, Michael Rudden. I'm not disagreeing with you at all. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But what they do, the way they get people to sign their lives away in healthcare is you are in pain. You are scared. You don't, you want to get rid of the pain. You know that you don't have many options. And you just sign whatever they give. Well, they met one crazy sucker today because I was going to sign absolutely nothing. I was not going to take out credit to get them to pay these guys $3,000 or so over time. I was not going to go ahead and do that. I think it's highway robbery what they're doing. It's a it's a transfer of wealth from everybody else to those who have that particular skill and the wherewithal to do it. It is time for these things that require healthcare. Uh, um, energy, and all these things, they do not belong in the private sector. And these are reasons why. I am going to try to make a better blog on this and show why we need to take this out of the private sector. Hey, medical vacation, oh yes, I hear you, buddy. I may do just that. You can listen I E S, But don't you forget, listen to us live on air at KPFT 90.1 FM on Thursdays at noon and at Fridays at 11 a.m. all central time. Please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. Keep KPFT on your mind. Talk about it. Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willies. Let us engage.